Hello, and welcome to Coming Out of the Basement podcast for the fourth week of April 2012. I'm Carlos, and with me is BJ. We're recording a little bit early this time because someone here is lucky enough to go on vacation next week. Here's a hint, it's not me. I am going to the happiest place on Earth, Disneyland, in California with my family. A well-earned vacation, a little too much work recently. <laughs> that is awesome. I love, love, love the Haunted Mansion. My favorite ride of all time. Love it. My father and I used to go on that each time we, we went. That's another one of our favorites. When was the last time you've been on vacation? Because I know you've been working quite it's off. Been, it's been a while. And, and the most recent vacations I've actually taken have been like either work or school-related vacations. So it's a little odd. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. Hopefully soon. Yes, I, 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 as your friend, I'm, I'm prescribing you to go take some vacation and get away from work, get away from school, and and just take some time off for yourself, buddy. So that that sounds heavenly. <laughs> <clears throat> so we got some stuff coming up this episode. Um, I know that there are a couple people who have been really anticipating this. I've gotten some contacts uh, from some of the highlights that we had last time. Uh, what are some of the things we're going to be talking about today, Carlos? Uh, well, the two big topics we're going to be talking about today is a little bit about sexism in comics and other kind of geek activities, and I'm very ready for a rant on Mass Effect 3. I will. I give fair warning to everyone involved. I will be ranting. It will be heavy in, in the geek sauce, so I apologize now, um, and we'll do all the spoiler tags then. But I think we need to do some house cleaning before we get there, Carlos. Yeah, I hear there's been a scandal, and I had not. this is the first I've heard of that, so I'm very interested in hearing what's happening. We have to address some drama within the podcast already. Okay. Um, there, there is a scandal that's been rocking us, and I just I had to own up to it. I, I know, and I had to own up to it for you also. So. Okay. As you know, the name of our podcast is Coming Out of the Basement, and so naturally some of the feedback we've been getting, some people wanted to know about our basements. You know, are they geeked out? Do we have like, you know, a movie theater set up? Do we have, you know, a special gaming table or something like that? Yeah, well, we, we live in Central Texas. We live in Central Texas, and the reality is neither well, you or I have a basement. Right. Uh, so I don't know if you guys are too familiar with Texas, if any of our listeners are, but just so that you know, uh, there's both problems with our water table being so high and just the, the, com- the composition of the ground that basements are not really a thing that we do here. I've never lived in a house that, that has a basement, actually. Um, in all my time in Texas. And and it was something that shocked my wife when she came over. She's from Australia and she just from, you know, consuming American uh, culture through through television and film, she thought everybody had a basement. So the first thing that she'd said when we started house hunting was, you know, oh I want a really nice basement. I was like that's not happening, honey. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. basements here in, in, in Texas. So it, it's it's just something that kinda came out and, and yeah, like I said, minor scandal. Well, let me let me let me mention. If you take a look at our website, we have the, the three tabs from when we started the blog. One of them is about geeks and what we mean when we say geek, and one of them about is about basements. And you know, basement for us in this context isn't necessarily a literal basement, but more of a a, a well, it, it it represents something else, right? It represents either a literal space, maybe a basement, maybe a game room, maybe something like that, or you know, a figurative type thing where it's like someone's comfort zone or some 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 place where someone uh, can look at their geeky hobbies and stuff like that. And the reason that we're coming out of the basement, of course, is that we're sharing this with the world, right? Where we're letting people know, yeah, we're geeks. Uh, we we like these things that that some you know some people do, some people don't, whatever. And and we're not ashamed of that. So, and, you know, we're we're you. Everyone has their, you know, geeky passion or whatever. And that that's kind of what we're about. I always considered it sort of a gathering location for for geekdom, right? Be it yeah. your your basement. Um for us, you know, when we play at my house, it's the upstairs rumpus room where I have right. the uh the massive TV set up with the Xbox and that table we play all of our D&D Immunes and Masterminds campaigns. It could be, you know, like we go to Dragon's Lair all the time and play there. You know, that's another mm-hmm. gathering. So uh, you're absolutely right. We're using basement in very loose, you know, terminology here to mean, you know, the the place where people gather to participate in their their geeky activities. So yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought it was kind of funny also, but yeah, we did get some feedback. You know, how can you call your podcast and your your blog coming out of the basement? If if does anyone does anyone who posts on the the blog does anybody have a basement at all? Um, you know. Derek now lives up north, so I'll, I'll check with him, but I'm confident that no one else does, so I'll, I'll see. I, I think if we have at least one person who posts on the blog that has a basement, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah, okay, then, well... Then I'll... we can maintain our integrity. <laughs> I'll check. Okay. That's funny. 
Um, I also wanted to give out some shout-outs. I kind of follow uh, the regional downloads for us, uh, keep track of all the IPs that are downloading, and I like to get an idea of what people are downloading from, be it, you know, uh, Mozilla, iTunes, uh, people use the, uh, the, the embedded player if they download off the RSS feed, and Oddly enough, you know, we don't have a huge amount of downloads. We're over the 80s for the first episode, and I think we're nearing the 50s for the second. But we do have sort of a diverse grouping of people downloading. Um, and I just wanted to give a shout-out to some of the uh, the various countries that we're getting downloaded from. A lot of downloads from Denmark. So, you know, thank you to whoever it, that one person is in De- Denmark who's downloading from <laughs> us. Uh, we are getting consistent downloads uh, from uh, Beijing and China. So, you know, shout-out to uh, our... I don't know if it's the person who's downloading is actually Chinese or just, you know, because, like, when I was in Japan, I would download podcasts from Japan all the time. Um, UK, still getting a lot of downloads, and Australia. And I have to imagine the person in Australia is not one of my wife's family members because I don't think she's told anyone I'm doing the podcast. So <laughs> That's um, funny. A, a slight <laughs> shiver of, of shame going through her or something like that. And so. weirdly enough, I got a message from a friend of mine back in high school who uh, said that he liked the podcast, and I'm not entirely sure how he found it, so that's kind of funny, too. I suspect he was self-Googling, because I mentioned something that he did, which and I'll talk about another day, because he, he does some stuff in Hollywood and has done like web series and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty funny, too. So we're, we're spreading the word, still trying to get you know some of the stuff out there. So I think, you know, yeah, I think it's growing. It's doing pretty well. Yeah, no, I'm pretty pleased. And the feedback we've got has been fun. So, <laughs> Yes, it's been a lot of fun. At some point, I want to uh, – my buddy Tom had a lot of good feedback for mm-hmm. how broad our, our topics are. Sure. I, at some point, I really want to have him on because he has a very interesting perspective. He's a very well-thought-out guy and um, very articulated with – you know, how, he's, he's a huge geek, and, and he was uh, kind of isolated from a lot of the geekdom living in Japan. I think he was in Japan for like nine years in, in a very small village out in the middle of nowhere. All right. Yeah, that sounds fun. Sounds great. But that's for another day. Today, let's go ahead and uh, get into it, Carlos. Okay. So my first topic um, has been certainly been talked about on a lot of different forums uh, recently and like in the past year, I think, more than I've seen before. And and, and I'm talking a little bit about issues of sexism in some of these geek hobbies in general. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about comics specifically, right? So um, can I just preface this? You can. I just want to make the audience, you know, we are aware that we are two guys talking about this. Oh, I absolutely. Know that, yeah, we're, we're two guys. Um, we would probably be, we would be more than happy to have our wives come on and, and give their opinions, but I don't think either of them would <laughs> want to be on the podcast. That's true. So um, we do welcome anyone to, you know, we're, we're going to get into it and, and discuss the, the views and opinions. We welcome any feedback from anyone, right? We do absolutely. understand that, you know, it's just two guys talking about it. So we welcome anyone else to kind of, write in about, you know, if you have a specific view and if you're, you know, female and, and feel that we miss something. Yeah, I mean, uh, totally. I think I think anybody should feel free to talk about this this cuz oh, it's absolutely. an issue. It's an issue, right? Yeah. So, and and so I will also I'll also give a couple of caveats. I don't have a problem with nudity or sex in storytelling and comics, in art, in any of that stuff. I don't I that doesn't really bother me. Um I think one of the problems is that in a lot of these situations, it's all that we see. You know, it's it's all that we have. It's the majority of material that's out there, and that is kind of problematic. And I'll give some specifics about that later on. Um, and um, there's really kind of these three issues, right? There's the way that geek culture has uh, certain aspects of geek culture has treated women. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we did, like I just said, is that coming out of the basement, we're, we're trying to also get across the point that we're everyone, right? Everyone's a geek about something. But there are certain aspects of this, this kind of uh, geek culture gathering that have had issues. And I'll mention some examples in a little bit. One about comics, the, there's a couple of things that we can talk about, one of which is the portrayal of women characters in comics and how they're treated. And one is the, um, let's say, paucity of women creators, writers, authors in the comics, in particular in mainstream comics, right? So um, speaking to, you know, geek culture recently, I've been kind of surprised that that, some, that we still have so many of these issues. I know recent, I don't know if you read um, Kotaku or, or any of the gaming sites, but um, we had a few incidents where there was, a, for example, a Capcom tournament where um, Super Jan, I think uh, Miranda Padoski, was harassed into leaving basically and and the guy the guy who basically was responsible for it he said well it's it that's the culture right if, if the sexual harassment sexual harassment and trash talk and all that stuff that's the way it is if you try to take out the sexual harassment then it wouldn't be the same 
which is ridiculous. That's 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 not a really an appropriate response in in those kinds of situations. I mean that that means that there's a problem with that particular community or that particular culture where that kind of of those kinds of things can occur. And and I completely agree with you. And I think it's worse than that because uh, if I remember that incident correctly, they were actually trying to make some kind of like reality television show about it, competitive gamers. Exactly right. And so and and that's what they've been complaining about for the longest time that they want competitive gaming to become more mainstream, right? So the guys who play the competitive Street Fighters, the MOBA games, who you know play like a League of Legends professionally and stuff like that, mm-hmm. there, there's a, a a dream to have it become as mainstream as say you know football or or baseball, right? And that's fine, but if that's your dream, stuff like that is it keeps you held back. Right. Right. You're not going to go mainstream with that kind of attitude. And you know, similarly, you and I played Warcraft, right? Yes. And and there's there are certainly people that I know um, who I mean I'm I we're, we were in the, in the Librarian Guild, and there are certainly people both in the guild and that we played with that weren't in the guild, but, but females who wouldn't want to get on Skype or on vent or stuff specifically because they were female and they had to deal with the reactions from people when they find out that they're female. And that's insane. I mean, that's, that's a bad experience for everyone. I don't understand those kinds of reactions. I agree. I think that we had better luck with it because everyone in our guild was married already. So you weren't sure. dealing with a whole bunch of like, you know, 19 year old no, kids. It, and it's really pub. It's really these public groups that, that, yeah, that exactly. where they, where they were unwilling to do that. Like we had people, who would go off when we had to, when we partied with a lot of people, public people, because of reactions from people, and it's that's that's kind of ludicrous. Yeah. And then uh, Jennifer Hepler, who was the Bioware writer, she similarly she she was harassed into closing her Twitter account because people were making all kinds of comments and really sexist and terrible uh, you know harassment that she was getting, and she ended up closing her Twitter account as a result, um, and specifically because she was a female writer at Bioware. I mean that. And that that was completely unfair to her. Like when I get into my Mass Effect rant, I'm, there's plenty of things I'm unhappy with. And and but one of the things I am going to cover is how negative the fan reaction was and and kind of hurt itself because of stuff like that. There's a I'm going to cover some of that, but there are constructive ways to provide your feedback and and you know destructive ways. And reactions like that are destructive. You make the the community look bad doing stuff like that, and ultimately you hurt the community when when you react that way. Completely. I mean, if you like me, if you like Dragon Age Origins better than the se- the sequel to Dragon Age, that's not that's not her fault. That's not yeah. like a, that's not that's not a necessarily attributable to a single person at all. But certainly has nothing to do with a person's gender. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's, that's she was a cog in the machine. There well, were I mean, far more people involved. You know, it's not one person's fault. Right. And even if she wasn't, I mean, even if she even if she was responsible for the thing that people were really upset about, well. That's not the, that's not the way you complain about that kind of thing. And the funny thing is, she got all the blame for it for Dragon Age Two, and and people said because she was a woman. And now Casey Hudson's getting all the blame for Mass Effect 3's ending, right? So right. obviously, gender has nothing to do with this, right? It's uh-huh. that's just a complete null factor in, in all of this uh, stuff. Right. And then the other another article I saw recently where a top ranking Magic the Gathering player. Uh, was was on a tournament that was live stream Jackie Lee and the same thing happened like the the when she played suddenly the 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 chat went crazy and she was threatened with rape and you know called terrible names and and all kinds of things like that and that's I mean I don't know what in the world has happened that people part of it is of course the anonymity of the internet but that's in a, that's not appropriate in any situation it doesn't make sense it, it's it's self it's self defeating in so many ways. So Blizzard actually tried to deal with this when they tried to publish everyone's actual identity with the real ID system. Right. Because they figured if people really knew who you were, you wouldn't be as as keen to all of a sudden attack people, you know, shamelessly. Right. And but that that didn't go through on, you know. Right. Right. There were yeah, that didn't that didn't quite happen and if it had happened, I'm not sure that would have worked out the way they thought it would. So I don't I don't know. There's yeah, it's something no. that we can look at. No. Um so and and we have the same thing in comics, right? Which was originally the the thing that I was going to talk about. And this has been I've been interested in this for a really long time and I mentioned last last time about the women in refrigerators um uh, Women Refrigerators article from Gail Simone back, I believe, in 1999 was when it first came out. And uh, but similarly, you know, I know people here who won't, who don't like, you know, females who don't like to go into the local comic shop 
because they get weird looks from guys and then you know, they get really uncomfortable. And in fact, today I happened to be talking to somebody about comics and, and she was saying that she had to make sure that, that she didn't go into the back room because if she went into the back room where people play, you know, uh, different uh, card games or board games, stuff like that, everything would stop. And so she felt really uncomfortable. And so th- that, again, that's, that's kind of an issue where you have, half the population feeling uncomfortable in a situation that we're trying to, you know, we're trying to be not, not mar- uh, what's the opposite of marginalized, right? We're trying to open, we're trying to be inclusive, we're trying to get more people into this and interested in it and understand it. And so that's an issue. That's, that's a pretty significant issue. And, and gamer geeks complain so much about, you know, relationship status, right? That, you know, geeks don't get girls and stuff and, you know, lack of, of availability and stuff like that. And really it's because of stuff like this. I mean, I, I know plenty uh, of women who enjoy these activities, right? But they totally. don't participate because of the stuff that you, you said. So exactly. I mean, I, I, you know, even back in high school, um, my regular D and D group was half female. I mean, there was, there's, there's no reason that, that we need to have this kind of of of, of environment, you know, that, yeah. that is unfriendly towards females because it, it's it's self defeating in so many ways. Um, so, looking at comics specifically, you know, there's there's the women refrigerators thing was Gail Simone attempting to address why we might not have so many female comic readers, and and I I think the crux of her argument was that, um, and and forgive me if I'm completely butchering this, but basically that. The characters that females might look up to or identify with, specifically female characters, um, they're always objectified in some way where something bad will happen to them. So they're assaulted, they're treated badly, they're raped, they're depowered. They're, something happens where, where they basically, you know, they're stuffed in a refrigerator, which is that the namesake that we mentioned, uh, talked about that Green Lantern issue. Um, and 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 of course, women might be turned off by that, understandably, because the characters that they thought were awesome or, or terrific or identified with aren't aren't there anymore. And this was this I I remember at this time because I was I, I was either starting the master's program or ending undergrad. I remember that that was controversial, um, and I, I didn't have enough money to really read comics regularly, but I did follow you know the internet discussions and what was going on at the time, and um and and people and the responses were. Um, some of the responses were great, and some of the responses were terrible, kind of like we see today in any thread that talks about issues like this. Um, and I don't know how much we've progressed since that time. Now, we have progressed since at the time. One of the interesting things I think that happened was that Gail Simone, who I don't believe was a comics writer at the time, although I could be wrong, is now a prominent comics author, comics writer. Right now, she's currently, you know, she wrote uh, Birds of Prey. She wrote, uh, she, she's writing Batgirl right now. She's worked on some other comics. And we have had some more uh, female female comic writers and uh, artists and illustrators and stuff like that. 52, though, one of one of the controversies about 52 was that it took a, it went from something like, and the numbers quoted were something like 12% uh, uh, female comic comic writers to 1%. Yeah. So, so, um, so that's, that is an issue. And, and I'm not saying, well, what am I not saying? What am I saying? So what, what I'm, I, I think that having the, Having this perspective, you know, having having uh, female comic writers or, or comic artists is important, um, not just you know, not just for equality's sake, although also for equality's sake. But it's 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 good for everyone because we get more stories, more perspectives, uh, and really great things have come out of that. Um, that's one of the things that started that I, I I might have touched on this last time, but one of the things that got me back into this was a friend of mine had posted asking about. You know, female or uh, LBGT-friendly comic authors or comics. Period. And uh, some of the names that came on coming up were Gail Simone and Greg Ruka. So I said, "Well, you know, I'll check them out because I hadn't really read any of their things before." And when I checked them out, the stories were terrific. I mean, that they were amazing. The writing was great, and that was something I hadn't felt in a long time from comics because when I quit reading most mainstream comics, uh, they'd gotten kind of generic. I mean, they, it was it was for, there was forgettable stories, forgettable plots, or ridiculous plots, and and uh, I was really impressed with kind of the sophistication, the perspectives that were offered in these stories. So I, I mean, I think that it can only help uh, having more, being more inclusive, having more different types of authors, having more variety of, of people involved. Um, do you have any comments? Sorry. <laughs> no worries, no worries. I want to, I, I, you need to get it all out of your system, man. I'm, I'm completely with you on this one. So, um, so from my perspective, I want to go back to the, the, the women in a refrigerator article a little bit there because my perspective is I agree with 
two-thirds of that article. I think it brings up a lot of good points, but it kind of lost me in the whole um, violence aspect of it, right? You know, talking about, oh, well, female characters die and stuff like that. And and I completely understand, you know, but if you take a, a niche like that, it can be applied in a lot of other categories. Like, I would never want to be the parent of any superhero, all right? Sure. Um, I was just thinking about it and the number of parent parental figures who die, you know, you can go Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, uh, the Huntress, Superman, Hal Jordan, Spider-Man, right? That's just off the top of my head. I got seven right there of just massive parental deaths, right? So characters die, you know, Superman's died, Batman's died, Hal Jordan's died, everyone, you know, what I do agree with is, uh, when they talk about how female characters get retconned. And the power differential is is pretty massive, right? Male characters, I think, tend to stay a little bit more steady stream as what their power levels are. I think female characters go this really wacky, like, other ends of the spectrum. You know, the female characters are, are either, like, super powerful or completely underpowered, right? Mm-hmm. Jean Grey is a good example of, of a character who's gone, like, up and down like crazy. Wonder Woman's another good example of a, a character who's gone, you know, up and down that spectrum like crazy. And I think that's a very good example of how women in, in, or female characters in comics are treated, you know, in, in a very different light than the male characters. Um and I know that you didn't, you know, you mentioned earlier that you don't have a problem with, you know, sex and art and comics and stuff like that. But I don't know. I call me a bit of a wussy man, but they are just objectified so blatantly. No, in in and no, I just, what I mean is, it's everywhere. It's objectification everywhere, and I do have a problem with that. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's all we see. It's all we have. It's it's the poses they're in are ridiculous. I mean, there, there's been some great art done on the net, which is hilarious, which puts men, superhero, male superheroes, in the exact same poses as female superheroes. And you might have seen them. And they're hilarious because it really exposes, one, the ludicrousness of how people draw female anatomy and also kind of just the poses and the, and the, and the positions they put females in. I mean, it's, it's, it's so blatant and so weird that we don't see that necessarily regularly and maybe just shows how normalized all of this is uh, because it, it's – when you put it in that kind of contrast, it really makes it evident that, yeah, there's something weird here. So one of my favorite comics to read are the Batman-Superman crossovers, right? The, the one with the, the Batman symbol and the Superman symbol inside of it. And they, they brought back Supergirl, right? Kara was coming back, and they, they redid that storyline. Mm-hmm. And so Kara, Zor-El or whatever, her, she crash lands, and Clark teaches her English, and they're going around shopping. And I remember this distinctly, because I remembered when I saw this and I had a negative reaction to it, I instantly felt like I was older because of it. But I remember she's walking around at the mall, with Clark, they're doing shopping for her. She was wearing like hip hugging jeans, and you could see a G string like coming up out of the hip huggers. And it kind of like disgusted me because she's, you know, presented as sort of this kind of teenage type character. And I'm like, why the hell am I seeing Supergirl's thong? And, that's, and it, that's it was really strange. It was really. <laughs> really weird and and it it really stuck out to me because it i was it just it took away a lot from the comic there was no reason for it i mean we get into this thing about why are we nitpicking or or you know trying to apply logic to a fake realm but you know why would an alien want to wear a thong you know in in the the hip rotting jeans it just didn't it didn't seem right it seemed really weird and it seemed to be sexually objectifying her in a way that just didn't seem appropriate at that time. The other point I want to bring up is, is in, and this kind of is about the Mass Effect thing. Um, one of the characters in Mass Effect, Miranda, is just blatantly sexually objectified to where it's almost tiring because she wears a skin tight, you know, suit um, that you know she could she's. Might as well just be naked, right? It's just a difference of textures at that point. And every camera angle that you have with her as you're talking with her is if she's not talking, then her butt, like, takes up half the screen, and then you're kind of off in the perspective distance on the other half, right? So, and I'm just like, I got really tired of just, like, every, having conversations with her and having her ass, like, in half my screen, right? It just didn't add anything to it. 
Right. And there's and there's also uh, violence and, you know, neg- these very negative sexual violence portrayal against women. Um, Cracks has some really great, you know, 10 weirdest things type article. Right. And there's one that mentioned um, the rape of Miss Marvel, where essentially there was a you know, she was it, it, it became this thing where she was raped and impregnated by someone and like no one had a reaction to it. Like it was just this weird this is this thing that happened, and they dealt with it. And there's some really good. Uh, there was a really good uh, essay called "The Rape of Miss Marvel" by uh, Carol Strickland, who's a comic book historian, uh, who talks about this and how and and just like the the terribleness of, of what this has occurred. This was in this was in the 80s. This was this was issue 200, right? You know, the big anniversary issue, where where there was this horrible, this very strange thing that that occurred. Um, Similarly, uh, and, and this one I haven't seen written about, but so Hawk and Dove, two DC heroes, um, there was a situation where the same thing happened. Dove was raped while she was in a coma and impregnated, and I'd never seen anyone talk about that or, ha- or have any strong reaction to that. It might be that I was looking in the wrong places at the time, but that was just something that happened. But the one that really gets me is, did you see any of Identity Crisis, which was one of those big DC-spanning things? Yeah, yeah. Right, the rape of Sue Dibney. So we had Sue Dibney is the wife of a superhero character called the Elongated Man, uh, who is murdered at the beginning of this series. And in a flashback, it's shown that she raped by a supervillain, Dr. Light. Um, I found that pretty disturbing in and of itself, not not in the story sense, but they're using basically rape as a, a plot device here. But what I found more disturbing was one of the editors at the time said that, you know, she walked into a a meeting of, of staff editors and, and one of the head people there said, we need a rape. I mean, specifically spelling out that that that's it. It was a plot device. It was this thing. It, it, and you know, I'm not saying that rape should be untouchable as a subject. It is something that happens. I think it's something that needs to be that that deserves to be addressed in some fashion. But such thoughtless objectification plot device is is horrid. I mean, it, it's abhorrent. It's terrible. I don't I don't get it. It 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 I I don't see why they would think that's a good idea. And I really disliked Identity Crisis for a lot of reasons. But I, I have to say that was almost the, that was. No, that was the first one. Yeah, and and again, you know, I think the the goal that we were trying to make here with this conversation is say that stuff like this, I think, ends up hurting our community more than anything else, right? You know, all of this stuff is obviously done for shock value, right, within exactly. that comic book realm. Um, and then it just makes the comics unapproachable, you know, from the female perspective, and even from the guy perspective, you know, like you right. said, I, I'm uncomfortable reading that stuff. I don't want to read that. Right. Right. And, um, and 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 you know, sometimes there is writing that will make you uncomfortable and make you consider and make you think about things. But that's not this. You're right. This was just for shock value. This was just for a plot device. This was just, for, you know, it, it it didn't really seem to serve any purpose. Now, one of the things that we'll talk about in uh, my Mass Effect rant, but it can be applied within this subject, do you think that's defendable from a quote-unquote artistic integrity standpoint? Well, when you have the the editor saying something like, we need a rape, I don't really think that's that's. I mean, obviously that's completely subjective, but no, I don't. I don't really buy that. I don't. I I agree with you on that one. Yeah, it's it's so. I mean, not needed. I've I've got a lot of I have a lot of links and a lot of stuff where people talk about these issues and uh, we talked about Starfire and the Red Hood last week. You know, we we mentioned some of those and there's been a lot of thought about what's happened to DC. Um, DC has actually responded to the backlash and um, after the eighth issue, they're retiring several uh, comic series that uh, presumably are underperforming or something. Um, so we're gonna go from like the new Fifty Two to the new Twenty Six or something? No, we're gonna ha- no, we're still gonna have Fifty Two because they're all being replaced. You see, with different series. Oh, and apparently, okay. apparently, um, in some contexts, they are. Uh, in some respects, I think some of these series are going to have female leads. Although not a whole lot of female authors still, so there are some issues there. Um, I'll put links to a lot of these discussions in the show notes because I have so many links and and other sources. I have some academic journal sources about issues of sexism in comics and stuff like that. It's something we can address a little bit more later on in different contexts. Uh, maybe we'll talk specifically about Fifty Two later on. Uh, but I mean, this is this is really just getting an introduction uh, introduction to at least some perspectives on it. Um, yeah, it's a problem and. And, a, and I think it's something that we need to overcome. It's a problem, and, and I completely agree. It's a problem because it, I, I think you know I think the theme of this conversation is it hurts our community. It, it makes it makes geek culture unapproachable, 
right? And it, it makes it, you know, very insular in that regards. And a lot of the geek culture is trying to break out and be mainstream, like we were talking about previously, with the arena games and the professional games. And if, the, if people act like that, it doesn't make it mainstream. It makes it insular. And then within the comic book realm and the video game realm, it just, you know, I, I just don't think it, it helps us at all. It, it all makes it, you know, just... I, I don't even know the word for it. It, it, it just makes it... Child, childish, I guess, or something. It's, yeah, you know. it, uh, yeah, it's it's worse. I mean, it's 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 blatant misogyny in some ways. I mean, I don't I don't get it, and it's something that we can't, we really have to not accept as a community. I think is ultimately what it comes down to. I would really like to get some um, female listeners to write in with all their perspectives. Like I said, we're just two guys talking about this. Obviously, you know, we are very much, you know, against you know the blatant sexism that's taking place. But I still would like to get some uh, fan reactions uh, and see what their opinions are about some stuff that they've noticed, so we or, can and pick up not, the conversation and continue the conversation. And you know, if not fan reactions, listener reactions. Listen, well, yeah, you don't have to be a fan. Uh, good catch. I, I'm automatically assuming people are fans. Maybe people are listening just because they're like, man, those guys are just geeks. Right, or something. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, it's 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 a difficult topic, and definitely, uh, like I said, I'll put some links up and maybe write about it later on, um, but it, it's it's one that's important. Um, Mass Effect, BJ, are you ready for... Uh... I'm, I'm ready. Are you ready? It's going to be like a dissertation. I feel like I'm presenting <laughs> that you're going to determine if I get my PhD or not. You know, okay, I need to I need to take notes then. Okay. Have, have you done your dissertation yet? Uh, I am doing my quals right now, which is one of the reasons that I'm so crazy. I'm working on my qualifying paper. Once, yeah, uh, yeah. Excuse me, one second. No worries. So. <laughs> I am trying to. <laughs> Do you need to get that? Uh, probably, but give me one second to mute so this. You can I'll, go ahead and get started. Yeah, I'll just go ahead and start riffing on, on Mass Effect. So um, let's go ahead and put the spoiler tags right here and right now. I am going to talk about all of the ending stuff, right? So I'm going to be talking about, you know, the approach to it, you know, what happened in Mass Effect 2 leading up to Mass Effect 3, all the stuff that happens in Mass Effect 3, the ending, the debacle that was the ending, the fiasco. So big, big spoiler tags. If and- you have not – go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I have not played it, but I'm well prepared for spoilers, so... Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> tell me now, so I can, you can, you know, mute your, your headphones or something like that, but... Um, so, yeah, the, you know, we're going to talk about all of the good stuff, so if, you, if you're playing the game, you haven't beat it yet, and you want the ending to be a, um, a surprise for you still, don't listen to this. I would be shocked, though, if you haven't heard anything about it, because it's all over the internet. Right, it is. It was consuming the internet for for several weeks. For for, I mean, from what have you heard about it, Carlos? As someone who hasn't beat the game yet. Um. Well, I so spoilerific. I've heard that people were really unhappy with the ending. That it was. I've read a little bit about the specific ending. Uh, that it was very unsatisfying because you don't know exactly what happened. Or, uh, the biggest thing, biggest complaint that I heard was that you were taught or told that your choices had meaning. And ultimately, that ended up being not true. And in addition to that, there was also like not a really great sense of closure. So there are all kinds of issues related with that. And I'll mention I've only played the first Mass Effect, and I played it a lot. I just haven't had time to dedicate to that I need that I think Mass Effect deserves. So I haven't gone through Mass Effect two and three yet. But yeah. So uh, let me say this: I liked Mass Effect three. I liked. 99% of Mass Effect 3. I did. It, I think it did a great job handling a lot of the character storylines. Um, the way it handled uh, Mo- Modrin, uh, the uh, he had a very good ending. Tachunka and Rex had a great ending. So there are a lot of good elements of the game, but it kind of feels like you know you go to a restaurant and you're ordering your meal, you get a great appetizer, you know, you get a great, you know, soup, you know, a, a terrific meal like a filet mignon that's just perf- perfectly cooked. Everything about it, you know, atmosphere, you know, the good wine, all the good stuff. And then your dessert, there's a giant roach on it, right, or something like that. You know, something that just completely ruins the the, the ending of your meal. And you're stuck with that's the only thing you remember, right? You, you don't remember okay, tell, any tell, of the good meal. Tell us how you really feel. Well, I mean, I'm just. I think that's the reason it became such a big deal is because if if this massive problem was like in the middle of the game, right? And then you know, so 50% is awesome. You get the middle, you have this like you know kerfuffle, and then you play the last 50%. It's awesome, also. I don't think there would be this kind of controversy. It's because it's at the end, and that's the the thing you're left with that that last taste in your mouth. I think that's why it's gone on to become such a big deal. So let, let's get into it. At the end of Mass Effect 2, they have 
downloadable content that has you go and blow up a mass relay, right? Mm -hmm. They say, okay, Reapers are coming. We know the relay that they're coming into. You need to smash an asteroid into it so they can't use that relay, and it'll delay them a while. So you go and you smash the mass relay. Mass relay blows up, and it kills 300,000 Batarians, right? You completely destroy the system that the uh, the relay's in. Mm-hmm. So you're in prison uh, because of that at the start of Mass Effect 3. Um, and then from there, the Reapers invade. You run off from Earth. Um, and then you have to gather the the galaxy. In Mass Effect 2, you had to gather your A-team to go invade the base. Rather than gather the A-team, you have to get everybody to play together in Mass Effect 3, right? You're getting the, the Solarians, the Corians, the Gath, um, you know, the, the everybody, they, they all have to come together. The Turians, everyone has to play nice in order to beat the Reapers, and that's what the game's about. I like that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to make peace with the Geth. You get to cure the Genophage. Uh, you get to help the Turians... Uh, the Asari, all that good stuff. You make, you know, you make a lot of peace, depending on how you play. Right, that sounds great. I mean, that sounds like a lot, like a fun game. And all of it was very fun. And so, you get to the end. You have your A team. You have like everybody's ready to go. You get to Earth. That's where all the Reapers have gathered. You've you've built this thing. Um, uh, to to stop it, you know, it needs the Citadel to stop it. So you've you've built this device. And you you get to Earth and and your forces fight the the Reaper forces, but you got to get to the the Earth's planet, you know, the planet surface to get your team in there. You fight through waves; it's it's very hard. And then as you finally get to the teleporter, it teleports you up to the the Citadel, which has been closed off. That's why you can't dock with it because the Reapers control it. And then you get to the Citadel, you open it up, the, your your device attaches to it. Um, you you stop the uh, the elusive man. And it's at that point, you're actually on the floor, like, bleeding out with Anderson, and they're playing this beautiful music, and I thought that's where it's going to end. With, And I was totally prepared to die, right? I, right. I know a lot of people, they, they present this straw man argument saying, oh, people are just upset because it's a sad ending. No, 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 no. I came into that game fully expecting to die, right? Right, right. They say it's going to be the end of Shepard's story. Right. I have no problem with the character dying, right? The, the, I am giving my life to save the universe. That's not the problem. And, and I thought that's how the game was going to end because they show you the, the, the Citadel's opening. The device looks like it's going to activate. Um, you're bleeding out from massive wounds. Anderson, your original commander, uh, your chief officer, commanding officer, he's also bleeding out. He's got a gut wound. And I'm like, all right, Anderson, the, the guy who's been with me through all three stories, you know, kind of this father figure, whatever you want to call him, really nice guy, him and I are going to bleed out together watching the stars. And they even talk, you know, Anderson's like, oh, man, it's been so long since so I've just seen the stars. Right. And that, and, and that seems like, a, that, yeah, that seems like an ending. That seems like a logical ending, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting all teary-eyed, you know, because the music's just so moving. I, I highly recommend. Um, there's a, a, a song called "I'm Proud of You," and that's the song that they play at the end where you're bleeding out with uh, Anderson. Very emotional song, very powerful song. And I'm like getting all teared up. And then you go unconscious, and I'm like, oh, I've done it. And they're gonna show me what happened, right? And then all of a sudden, you come back to consciousness, and Admiral Hackett is um, uh, saying, you know. Commander, you know, uh, Shepard, Shepard, we need you. And I'm like, what? What's going on? You know, I've, I've done, I've done my duty. And he says, uh, the device is not activating. We need you to, to activate the device. There's something on your side. And you can tell Shepard's like, oh, what? What do I got to do? Like, he's just, you know, he's like, I've given you guys everything I got to give. I got nothing left. Mm-hmm. You push a button. All of a sudden, an elevator activates. The glowing light eleva- elevator activates, and you go rising up into the uh, this this secret room. And in there is a hologram of a kid that's kind of haunted your dreams, a kid you saw die on Earth at the beginning of the game, right? So you flash back to this kid several times. You saw him die from the Reapers, and his shuttle got blown up. Well, the hologram takes on the image of this kid. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, I am the catalyst. I am the thing needed to activate this device. And you have uncovered the fact that my... Answer to the 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 world of the you know the my answer to the universal problem is flawed or is not working anymore. Mm-hmm. And you ask him, you're like, okay, what is your answer to the universal problem? And he says, organic life is always destined to evolve to a certain point to where it will create synthetic life, and that synthetic life will always try to kill the organic life that it created mm-hmm. in order to prevent synthetic life from destroying all organic life 
every 50,000 years, I bring the Reapers to, to wipe out all of the advanced organic life. So we leave the non-advanced organic life, the, the still, like, you know, monkeys, you know, hitting their chests. They're left alone. Right. But if you're advanced enough to create synthetic life, we, we destroy your culture and make you a Reaper, right? Uh-huh. So they kind of gather you up, whatever your essence are. So the Reapers are actually made from the organic material of the cultures that they reap, right? And, and they okay. make the, they make them into synthetics, right? And, they, and he's like, that's how I deal with the problem. And all, instantly you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's, that's – yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's this great um, image online – uh, I, I I don't know who the the actor is, but it says you know it's a, this thing that says yo dog I heard you don't want to be killed by synthetics so I made these synthetics to come kill you every fifty thousand years so you're not killed by synthetics right um it, it's it, just the logic behind it is flawed right you're sitting there going okay so to prevent us from being killed by these you know synthetics you're gonna kill us to it's it's it gets really weird the worst part of it is though is that Part of the storyline is bartering peace between the Geth and the Quarians. The Quarians made the Geth, you know, these synthetic creatures. They were at war for a long time. Right. And, and you find out the Geth never actually wanted to fight the Quarians. The Geth have been kind of in this defensive position for the longest time. They simply just didn't want to be turned off. The Quarians' answer was like, oh, the Geth became self-aware. We're going to turn them off. And the Geth are like, no, we don't want to be turned off. Right. So they had this fight. The Geth kicked the Quarians off the home planet, and then right, they stopped. They right. didn't. They didn't try to spread out anymore. Okay. And so you say, okay, well, what about you guys like attacking people in, in Mass Effect One? That starts with the Geth attacking people, and right? You, and you find out, well, they were under Reaper control. Reapers were using the Geth to fight, you know, all the people. So it becomes even more twisted in that it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Right. Not a prophecy, a self fulfilling prophecy, because the Reapers were making the Geth attack people outside their boundaries and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You broker peace. The Geth are more than happy, and the Quarians are more than happy, so much so that the Geth actually helped the Quarians, you know, recover from their immunity diseases and stuff, right? The Geth load their programs into the Quarian suits to introduce disease into them very slowly so they can build up their immune systems, and the Geth are help rebuild the Quarian home planet to where they'll be moved in in like a month or something, right? Mm-hmm. So you get this like picture perfect, you know, relationship like, you know, oh, synthetics and organics together, right? <laughs> and when you're told this by the 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 Star Child, you know, he's called on the internet the Star Child. Yes, I've seen that reference before. Okay. Now it when makes sense. When you're told by the Star Child that like, oh yeah, synthetics will always try to kill organics, you kind of want to go uh the Geth, um, cuz they're like cool with the Quarians now. Yeah. So that you know, I think that's the first like major flaw was the reasoning behind it. And then you go, okay, so I understand the reasoning. It's dumb. What do I do about it? And the child says, you got three options. You can destroy the reapers, and if you destroy the reapers, that destroys all synthetic life, including the geth, right? Uh-huh. So you're gonna and, and because you have been rebuilt with a whole bunch of synthetic technology, you'll destroy yourself. Okay. You can control the Reapers, and in controlling the Reapers, you will pull them off the planet, and, and they don't really say what control does. You know, it just says you can control them, but in doing so, you die. You Your essence is, you know, disintegrated in order to control the Reapers, so I guess you control them through a bodiless, you know, consciousness. I don't... They didn't quite, you know, explain that. Okay. Um, and then you can choose synthesis, which is you combine organic and synthetic life into one life form that is both organic and synthetic for everyone. And that one was the weird one. And so these become red, blue, and green. Red yes. is destroy, and blue is control, and green is you know synthesis. Right. That's what I saw described also. Okay, now yeah. this all makes sense. Our RBG, as it's become become, uh, become known as, the, uh-huh. the RBG ending. Yeah. And so, and here's the kicker. They say, no matter which one of these you pick, all the mass relays will be exploded. Well, that's fun. So, no travel then. No travel. So they say, in order to beam this, you know, instantaneous light that accomplishes all this stuff, all the mass relays will blow up. And so the first thing everyone started asking is like, hey, I blew up a mass relay at the end of two. That wasn't very good because that destroyed a star system. Mm Mm-hmm. Isn't that what's going to happen here? Mm-hmm. 
The only explanation for it is space magic, because this is different than how the other one was blown sure, up. Sure, right. Yeah, that, that, That's fine. You know, it's space magic is used. I, I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. But after that, they have this um, this video that shows you what happens. And the video for all three endings are almost exactly the same, except for the color. So no matter which one you pick, shows the fighting, the Reapers are coming, everyone's getting blown up, and then the explosion happens, and the explosion's either red, blue, or green. Um, the only difference in that part is if you choose the destroy ending, the Reapers blow up, but in both synthesis and, and control, they, they instead float off. Then it shows the... Uh, explosion like hitting the mass relays and then it shows joker in the ship flying off he's trying to outrun the explosion the normandy gets hit and he crash lands on this alien planet Mm -hmm. and then your crew comes out of it and they are you know fine and they're like oh we're, we're alive and stuff like that okay so we've covered that you know here here are the problems with that number one i don't think they would be in as much trouble if Casey Hudson, the lead writer, hadn't gone on an interview um, with, I think it's Game Informer, and specifically said, you know, we're not looking to do a normal um, ABC ending. Yeah, yeah, that that good good job. <laughs> so so let me see. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna link this in the comments section. So let me read you exactly what he said in this interview because this is the real big problem. People said he said. At this point, we're taking into account so many decisions that you've made as a player and reflecting a lot of that stuff. It's not even in any way like the traditional game endings where you can say you can say how many endings there are or either you got an A, B, or C ending, right? That actually that just to interject, that actually makes me wonder if uh, the game wasn't done or something. A lot of people have speculated about that, that if it was just a time crunch, right? Mm-hmm. But that's still not a good excuse for no, it's a not. bad ending, right? Yeah, absolutely not. So he he has this very hypocritical like interview before the game comes out, and and people have have said, you know, you're right, Casey. It's not an ABC ending; it's an RBG ending, right? You know, making you know complete fun of it, and and for good reason that you know, in what he said it wouldn't be, it ended up actually being that, right? Right, right. Plus, the other problem people have is you don't find out what happens to any of your crew, right? That's what I told you, the ending of that little, like, mm-hmm. uh, thing. That's literally it. And then mm-hmm. credits after that. Nothing happens after that. So, so you then don't. They get, then they get hunted down by the predators, and. Okay, cool. Well, the, it left my green question. So, like you said, no travel, right? No right. Mass Effect travel. Right. Um, one of the things people are like, wait a minute, we just gathered all the forces in the in the galaxy to come to Earth, and now there's no Mass Effect relay. Oh, so everyone's on Earth. Yeah, everyone's stuck on Earth, right? Nice. Okay. And so other people are like, yeah, aren't there lots of lo- little small colonies that rely on regular transport of goods and stuff mm-hmm. like that? And aren't there like farming colonies that help supply food to the large like planets like Earth and stuff like that? So. And, and that gets into the nitpicking, like, you know, like you talked about, you know, we as geeks can, you know, pick apart a, a, a fake, you know, environment to death. But right. I think blowing up the mass relays was sort of a scorch and burn of their own intellectual property, right? It is, it is really weird. I agree. And especially, yeah. especially if you expect them to do DLC and sequels or MMO or some, going somewhere with it. Yeah, that seems like an odd choice. And so it left a lot of those lingering effects. So you, you don't find what happens to any of your you know, companions or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the ending with Joker flying off was really weird because you had all of your forces on Earth, everyone's fighting to the bitter end to stop the Reapers, and and all your forces are with you on the ground. All your teammates are on the ground doing this last hurrah to get to the Reapers, uh, to this, this Reaper, like, HQ and stuff. And so everyone's like, wait a minute, at what point in the battle did all of my friends, all of my friends, people who were in my squad attacking this, you know, central unit who I saw on the ground, when did they board the Normandy and decide to get the hell out of Dodge? <clears throat> Space magic. Space magic, right? Mm-hmm. So, because of all this, you know, hypocrisy in the reasoning for why the Reapers were doing stuff, right? There's a lot of hypocrisy there. The hypocrisy in what they said the ending would be, you know, right. they said, you know, or it wouldn't be like a normal ABC ending, and it actually ended up being that. That was a lot of the negative fan reaction. And then the way Bioware handled it 
was poor. Mm-hmm. So, do you know that there's another game that had this same kind of not not as big as this reaction, but it had another negative fan reaction to the ending? What game? Fallout. Fallout Three had a, a negative fan reaction. No, I did. I was unaware of that. Um. So we'll do spoiler tags here. Did you play Fallout Three? No, I own it. Haven't had time to play it. Do you mind me spoiling that? I I love spoilers. Spoil, spoil away. So at the end of Fallout 3, uh, the game is about uh, cleansing the water for people, right? A lot of the water is radiated so people can't really drink it, or if they they drink it, they they get radiated themselves, radiation poisoning. Mm -hmm. Your, Your father in the game, he's working towards cleansing the water. And and toward at the end of the game, you figured out how to cleanse it, but in order to go into the room to press the one button that will cleanse all the water, there's so much radiation there, it's going to kill whoever goes in, right? And so you're left with an option. You either send your little um, minion, because you always have a companion with you, you send your companion to go in there, mm-hmm. or you go in yourself. So either you send someone to die, or you die yourself, right? Sure, sure. And a lot of people had a problem with that, because you actually have multiple companions who are immune to radiation poisoning. You have a robot and you have a, a mutant. Okay. Yeah. Neither one of them will go in. You you ask them to and they're like, oh, this is something you should handle yourself, right? Wow, jerk friends. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> because it would do nothing to them. It's literally just going in, pressing a button, and then coming back out. Gotcha. Fan reactions were pretty negative to that, right? Uh, I, I played it, and I, I kind of thought about it. I was like, oh, you know, that's kind of bullshit, but I, I wasn't that <laughs> pissed about it. And then right. they changed it. They were like, you know what? We, you're right. We did kind of you know screw the pooch on that one a little bit, and they changed that ending, right? This reaction is 100 times that, mm-hmm. right? Um, people, in a productive fashion, have raised money towards charity. Yeah, Child's Play got a lot of money out of that. Eighty thousand dollars, you know, mm-hmm. to to voice their concerns. They were going to buy a billboard and try and get it in front of um, the Bioware team uh, site to say, you know, we want a new ending, not a, a a clarification ending. You know, there's been tons of fan reaction. Did you know that the Better Business Bureau has actually spoken out about I this? I did. I thought that was odd. Uh, I did see their statement. Um, it was it was strange. Yeah. And and the Better Business Bureau said that that they you know, pretty much lied. You know, right. that they're guilty of false advertising. Right. So I think there is a lot of merit to, you know, them, people being upset about it. Uh, certainly, as we talked about before, there are not good constructive manners of, of showing your your distaste for the ending, right? So I think most people should be focused on showing, you know, using constructive manners, you know, to, to show their dissatisfaction for the ending but the fact that bioware has basically been saying has been defending the the ending from the point of quote-unquote artistic integrity mm-hmm. that you know it and this point has been made by other people that if they change the ending they're violating their artistic integrity right that this is a work of art and a work of art shouldn't be changed because people try to force you to change right that I have a problem with because I'm not going to argue the point of whether or not it's art. I will argue the point that it's a product. There, there's that, and the thing is, I mean, in, I, I've seen some of that that talk too. And my my concern with that, or my issue with that, is that art is always and has always been at least somewhat responsive to its audience. Like it's it's even even historically. I mean, it's not it's not always just a one way thing. You know, it, it, it takes there there is context to art and people have changed art based on feedback, based on response, based on whatever. I mean, you want to talk artistic integrity, one of the one of the biggest examples I can think of is Sherlock Holmes, right? Sherlock Holmes was killed. And specifically due to audience demand and fan reactions, he got brought back. And and uh you know that so that's it's not I I saw the word entitlement thrown out a lot, and the word entitlement in almost any discussion makes me uncomfortable in a few ways because it it's a conversation ender, right? Um, it, it, it just automatically makes assumptions about people's motivations and people's expectations and all these other kinds of things, and I don't I don't like I don't like using that word in discussions because um, I don't really think it is an entitlement thing in in that in that respect. I think people are perfectly 
you know, they had legitimate concerns. They could respond. They could, you know, they, they, and, and Bioware can choose to respond or not. Uh, you know, that, that's also on their, on their end too. Um, I think, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. I, I, I completely and 100% agree with you. Uh, I think the, the word entitled gets thrown around inappropriately in this situation. I think the only way you could say people are entitled is if people demanded their money back. I haven't heard a single person demand their money back. Everyone I've heard says, we want a better ending, right? So it shows that people are invested. They pe- People like the game. People have even said they would be willing to pay for downloadable content that gives them the better ending they want. Most people want it to be free, but I've, I've seen plenty of people say, I, I would pay for a better ending. I would sure. pay five bucks or whatever, eight bucks for downloadable content that has a, content that has a better ending, right? Uh-huh. So none of that to me sounds entitled. It sounds like people who enjoyed the product and are dissatisfied with one aspect of it and want to correct it. And we live in a day and age where that's possible, right? right. You're, you're absolutely right. They did it for Sherlock Holmes. That was over, you know, was that 100 years ago? Yeah, that was about 100 years ago that happened. Mm-hmm. So this is not a construction of the modern era that of the internet culture. This stuff, this kind of stuff, this fan reaction to to this, you know, production of of consumable media, this has been around for a while now. To, to you know, having this kind of negative reaction to to an ending like this, right? Like you said, Sherlock Holmes is a great example of something that, the same thing that happened a hundred years ago. Yep. And so uh, I come down on the side. I was dissatisfied with it. I thought it was a bad ending. I thought it was a rushed ending. It completely changed the tone. It was, you know, hypocritical. Mm-hmm. It was illogical. It left with a it left us with more questions than answers that it provided us, right? Now, let me let me ask you this. Mass Effect 3, I own Mass Effect 1, I own Mass Effect 2, I don't actually own Mass Effect 3. Should I buy Mass Effect 3? Oh, I think so. Yeah, see? So that's that's something too. I mean, it's a good game in and of itself. Um, but and and I think that people are buying it. People like it. I've heard exactly the same. I've heard other people say exactly what you said. They like ninety five, ninety nine percent of the game. It's just that last end is really disappointing. Yeah, I had thirty hours of like amazing gameplay. What I just told you about takes place in the last five to ten minutes. Exactly. So I would say yes, buy Mass Effect three, but be prepared because the ending. It's it and it's because it's the ending. That's the last thing you're left with, and, and right. you're just like what. What did I get? Right, right. I understand. So, I, I I was hoping Bioware would have a better reaction to the fans, would see this as people being interested in it. The other like argument that I've heard thrown around that I think is invalid is the vocal minority, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you look at Metacritic and if you look at like the Amazon rankings, right? Metacritic has the reviewer score like in all nines and then the um, player score is like in the fours or something for Mass Effect 3, right? Sure. And then Amazon, uh, the ranking on Amazon for Mass Effect 1 and 2 is at 4.5 stars and then Mass Effect 3 is at 2.5 stars so it dropped like two whole stars, right? Right. And so people are saying, well, this is just the vocal minority, right? That the, These people don't talk for the general audience and, and people... You know, should be overall overall fairly satisfied. The problem with that is you're assuming that everyone who doesn't speak up like the ending. And right. You can't make that assumption. Right. I mean, whenever you use the term vocal minority, you you have to have more information than we seem to have for this. I think to be taken seriously. Uh, sure, you can think about it, but you know, you don't have evidence for it. So. Yeah, it's 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 making the illogical conclusion that people who don't speak up about it were okay with the ending. People are inherently just lazy, so you know it, it's very likely that someone could have put down the controller and said, "Oh, not too bad," or they could have put down the controller and been like, "Oh, that was a piece of shit." Mm-hmm. They just didn't go onto the internet to voice their opinion. Exactly. Right? So. Automatically assuming everyone who didn't post negative, you know, reactions to it, assuming that they like the ending, that's flawed logic. Right. right? I agree. I agree completely. So that, you know, like I said, a lot of the Bioware reactions to the negative fan outcry has been poor. I think they need to step up their game and address it. It's okay to be adult and say, you know what, we did mess up the ending. We're gonna fix it. It's gonna be downloadable content in whatever capacity, but you know, we're going to do it. And I think if they did address it, you know, I think they would get a lot of, you know, a lot more fan appreciation. At this point, they're kind of leaving the fans high and dry. And now, I, 
Now, I did hear that they were going to have an extended cut or something like that. Have you... Have you heard about that? Yeah, so they're not changing the ending. So the horrible star child's still going to be in it. The three choices that don't make any sense are still going to be in it. And gotcha. um, all that you know, hypocrisy that I was talking about is still going to be in it. What they're going to do is just that, that little cut scene I told you about. Yeah. They're going to extend it to explain all the stuff that happens. They need to explain what happens to your crewmates um, who survived. And they need to explain like the whole mass relay thing. Gotcha. For my money, I want them to take the Star Child out of it because it was a shift in tone that just didn't make any sense, right? Right. If and I remember, did... yeah, I mean, I remember from Mass Effect One, it, you know, you made decisions. They affected things later on. They, you know, it, it is a game that responds to, you know, if you take someone on a particular quest, they might die and they're gone. You know, I mean, it stuff stuff happens. Your choices matter, and and to just kind of break down into this is very strange. And I mean, the. the... They just need to get rid of that Star Child because it changes the tone so drastically. I think they felt like they had to explain why the Reapers were there, and the Reapers got so blown in proportion of mm-hmm. who and what they are, right? Because they had this kind of Cthulian aspect to them, right? Mm-hmm. I would have been perfectly happy if they never explained it to me, right? The the Reapers they said it. They say in the first game when you interact with, um, I think Harbinger is his name. No, no, no. Who is it? Uh, I forget the Reaper in the in the first game, but he says, you know, our motivations are unknowable to you, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we, you can't possibly comprehend our the motivations for why we do what we do. Hey, I'm okay with that, right? Maybe gotcha. it is like some big space squid thing that I'm never going to understand, and I just need to stop you from killing all my people. I'm okay with that, right? You know, that that leaves it up to my imagination, and the person's imagination is always going to be worse than what you come up with, right? Gotcha. But the fact that they do try to explain it, and they give it such a dumb explanation, you're like, well, obviously I can't understand it, and my understanding is this is a piece of crap. Right. So... Now, I, I've been ranting for a long time about this one, so I, I'll, I'll cut it there. Overall, I was um, disappointed with the ending, but it's a good game. I still recommend playing it. My recommendation, if you're going to play the game, once you get to the point where you're bleeding on the floor with Anderson, turn off the game. <laughs> okay, I'll remember that. No, really, because... I, I agree. I know what you mean, yeah. <laughs> you will feel far more satisfied just assuming that You've beaten the Reapers, and you and Anderson bled out on the ground together. There's actually a fan-cut ending that's just that. That's terrific. And and I, I watched that, and I was like, that's perfect. Fans I love it. Fun. Yes. Fans are awesome. Yeah. So, um, and that's it. Um, any any other lingering questions from my my horrible rant on the Mass, uh, Mass Effect 3 ending? I think I understand. I understand where you're coming from now. I did have a couple other things I wanted to mention uh, before we before we wrap up real quick, and that is going back to Kickstarter real quick because there are some really cool things out there that I wanted to mention. Go for uh, it. One is uh, you still got four days for Best Friends Forever. I was wrong about it being a zombie film, and I apologize for that. It's it's an apocalyptic film, so it's basically after a nuclear war, the travel to Texas, whatever. Still looks really awesome. Uh, one of their tri- one of their uh, they, of course they did a bunch of videos for Kickstarter. Like fun videos to, to 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 entice people to donate and stuff. One of them had zombies related, which is what confused me. But no, it's not. It's not specifically zombie. Uh, still got a few days, uh, twenty days actually, for Witch Girls Book of Shadows, uh, which is the one that's uh, uh, aimed towards towards kids, particularly uh, teen girls, which is a very underserved uh, demographic in gamer circles. Uh, I know lots of people who are buying this to try to get their kids involved. I think it sounds cool. Twenty days for that. One that only has hours left, though it's going to be close tomorrow, is the Banner Saga. Uh, but, which is here in Austin. It's already it's raised uh, more than six hundred thousand dollars, and it is a story-driven turn-based strategy game uh, in a Viking culture. And it's made by three guy, three people who worked on. Uh, I believe they worked on the Old Republic actually, and, and they're they're no longer there, but they they formed this other game, and it's gotten uh, a great reception on Kickstarter. It looks really cool. I would check it out. It's called The Banner Saga. Um, and then the other one, which I just heard about, and I don't know how I missed it. It's got nine days left. Shadowrun Returns. So yeah, they're bringing back a uh, one of the original Shadowrun games using the the actual you know uh, using the the, the 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 actual Shadowrun universe and uh, and 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 basically making a, a new version of it. It's raised one and a quarter million dollars. That's it. That's over three hundred percent at its backing that it was going for. Isn't that crazy? That is awesome. That is I, crazy that Shadowrun raised over a million. 
Yeah, and I love. I mean, I love Shadowrun. I, I I played Shadowrun when I was younger. It's a terrific game. I'm really excited about this. I'm so sorry I missed it. Uh, the last one that's still active that I wanted to mention is I just announced Midgard Tales, which is uh, it's some Pathfinder adventures, a series of 13 Pathfinder adventures in the Midgard campaign setting from Open Design. It's going to be head up by Christina Stiles, who's a terrific developer. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and I, I've contributed to that, and I might participate. It's going to be super cool. And then finally, there's there, I wanted to mention, because of the sexism in, in, in comics issue, um, or, or these gender issues, uh, there was a Kickstarter, which I'm so sorry I missed, and you should totally look it up because it's awesome. It's called Womanthology, and um, it's it's female comic creators and in uh, female comic artists, female comic creators making this book, uh, head up by comic artist uh, Renee Delise. And it looks incredible. And it's got Gail Simone and Renee Delise um, and Barbara Kessel and all these these terrific, terrific uh, writers and artists and creators. And I am so sorry I missed this because the the Kickstarter backing things was awesome. There's one even there's one that um, I think you would have found particularly interesting because one of them was uh, Kevin a phone call from Kevin Smith. Oh really? <laughs> which, which I was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, that they, they would they would call you during one of their podcasts or something like that, which I thought was cool. Uh, yeah, I'm really sorry I missed it, but the the book itself looks awesome, and I've totally ordered it when when I saw it. It looks it's incredible. So very cool, very cool. I was taking a look. They got a, a virtual tabletop uh, roll twenty. Uh, cool. They're they're working on a virtual tabletop uh, gaming that tells a story. So a a way for a virtual tabletop to work on your computer. Um, I wonder if that's going to be different than RP Tools, the uh, the Map Tools program. Yeah, um, yeah. And and it looks like Leisure Suit Larry's coming back. I got heard it. that. I hadn't seen it, but I'd heard that was happening. And then that's being made in Austin, Texas. So there's a Kickstarter up for Leisure Suit Larry, and it's okay. it's at 424,000 right now. Wow. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. So um, I think that'll wrap up this session. Uh, for episode four, we're gonna have sort of a a theme for our, uh, for our episode four, because usually you and I cover like two kind of completely separate topics, but this right. time, or next time, it'll be kind of uh, intertwined. So what are you covering? I'm going to be looking at, so there's a, a new event in the Marvel universe, we're going to pay a little attention to Marvel this time, and uh, that's X-Men versus Avengers. So I'm, um, I... I haven't bought. I hadn't bought a lot of Marvel comics in a really long time, but uh, I, 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 by coincidence, stopped into Dragon Slayer on like the big launch day, and people were dressed up in costumes and they were saying how awesome it was going to be. And I said, well, you know, I've been giving these DC comics a try. I'll, I'll give Marvel a try too and see what, see what I think. So I'm, I'm buying this giant event that's, that's occurring in the Marvel universe. And then after we're done talking about that, I'm going to cover. Uh, the Avengers movie, and specifically within that, I want to talk about the Marvel movie Dynasty, something that I think that they've done that no no one else has done yet, and that is take the Marvel Universe and really create it into an intertwined story of multiple movies, and, and it's something I find fascinating and something I'm really intrigued about, and, and something I enjoy is that all these movies that they have, you know, Iron Man 1, 2, Captain America, Thor, all these, you know, come together to the Avengers movie, and it, it creates this universe within film and cinema. So Yeah, and I think that's terrific. Yeah, that's awesome. So please tune in next time for uh, Coming Out of the Basement. Two guys who don't actually have basements talk about geek culture. <laughs> right. You can find us at comingoutofthebasement.com. And our Twitter account is COTB1. Or you can email us at podcast at comingoutofthebasement.com. Please give us your feedback. You know, we appreciate it. You know, let us know if there's any particular topics you want us to cover or if you have some interesting opinions on topics we've already covered. All right. Well, thank you very much, BJ. Thank you, Carlos. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Later. Later.